All right, we're joined with uh, John Regatius, who is the athletic director at Danville High School. John, thank you for being a part of this. Absolutely, glad to be here. I uh, remind you guys that I, I think technically I'm still your boss. So. <laughs> yes, yes, so, that is so, correct. So, so be nice to me. <laughs> we won't grill you yeah, too There's hard. no technical about it. You are the boss. Uh, John, let's just start off. Tell us about yourself. Did you grow up in Danville? You grew up in the area? I, I grew up in northwest Indiana. I went to high school at, at Crown Point High School in, in Lake County. You're a region rat, aren't you? I am. Well, you know, it it depends. It depends on where you're (laughs) from. If you're actually from the region, if you're actually from the region, there would probably be an argument of does Crown Point belong in the region or not? I mean, you know, there's kind of that US 30 mm-hmm. line about Maryville is about where the actual okay. South is. The farther south you go in the state, I, you know, I went to IU, I graduated from IU, so I go down to Bloomington when I'm in college. Right. And, you know, you, you go, the farther south you go, they want to make that regional line be about where Rensselaer is. You know, <laughs> yeah. People who are from actually Lake County, you know, it's, it's, but, but Route 30 is about the real cutoff right there, so. That's awesome. So what, so you said you graduated from IU. Uh, what took you from IU, I guess, I know you before you were at Danville, you were at Brownsburg. Where you, did you make any stops before that? I did. I, I, I kind of bounced around for a little while. I graduated from uh, IU. Uh, graduated from IU in 1997. My first job was uh, actually in Illinois. I've lived my whole life in Indiana. But, okay. Um, had some family, you know, the Chicago suburbs area, and uh, I taught for one year at Homewood Flossmore High School, which is a pretty large high school in the south suburbs of Chicago. Taught there for one year. Uh, you know, really wanted to get back to the Indianapolis area. That's right. where I was trying to. Where I was trying to get to. Uh, I was a science teacher, science and math, um, and there was a job opening for a science teacher at Beach Grove Middle School. Okay. Um, so got that job, which was really my second year out of college, and and you know liked it, but but was really looking for a situation where I was going to be at the high school. That's really what I wanted to do. I kind of took that job at Beach Grove just to get myself back in the area. My my current wife, who was my girlfriend at the time, uh-huh. she was living in Indianapolis, working in the Indianapolis area. So that's where I was trying to right. get to. So I got that job. Uh, in the spring of that year, they had a science opening at Brownsburg, which was a high school situation, which was more kind of attuned to what I wanted to do. So my third year, I was at three schools in three years and wow. went to and went to Brownsburg and, and worked in Brownsburg for 12 years total, did a lot of it at the high school. Ironically, I ended up going back to the middle school when I had the opportunity to get into athletic administration because the AD job had opened. I had done some coaching at the middle school, okay. basketball and baseball. and. And then the AD job opened up at the middle school, and I was fortunate to have the opportunity to do that, and did that for six years, and then the, the opportunity to come along and be a high school athletic director. Daniel was there, and been there, been there since, been there seven years now. So when you were in high school, did you play sports? I did. I played uh, tennis and I played baseball uh, in in high school. I was kind of joke around that that I was a bad baseball player on a somewhat decent <laughs> baseball team, and I was a I was a you know decent tennis player on a somewhat bad uh, okay. ten, tennis team. So, did you in college know or have an inkling that you wanted to be an athletic director? Honestly, no. Now you know it's it's, it's interesting because my dad was involved in athletic administration. My dad was a middle school teacher, junior high teacher, uh, in Crown Point where I grew up. He was. Uh, he coached three sports. He crossed cross. He coached cross country. He coached girls basketball, and he coached boys track. Uh, and so, you know, he was a three sport coach. Eventually, right about the time where I got into middle school, he became the athletic director there. Okay. And uh, so he did that job for probably ten or fifteen years. So I was kind of around that. Right. You know, around that sense. I mean, I grew up with it. Both my parents were teachers. My dad wasn't was an athletic director, but that really wasn't anything that I ever had in mind when I went to college. I wanted to go be a teacher, mm-hmm. and I wanted to be a coach. It was a lifestyle, right, that I had lived, that my family had right. lived. It was comfortable. It's middle-class type of lifestyle. You go somewhere, and, 
and you kind of set your, your roots down somewhere. And so I was really comfortable with that kind of, you know, way, way, to, way to live a life. And so I didn't really have any kind of greater schemes right. of doing that. I just wanted to coach, um, you know, and then, and then got involved in it, coached high school and middle school sports. And, and, you know, one of the things that I think led me to athletic administration, it just was kind of happenstance, was I had an opportunity to coach a whole bunch of different sports. I just right, got exposed right. to a whole bunch of different things. So right. I, my background in terms of participating was in tennis and baseball. Um, my dad was a basketball coach. I was a terrible basketball player, but, I, <laughs> I, you know, my dad was a basketball coach, so I'd been around the game. Right. Um, you know, I'd helped out a little bit with the high school program when I was in high school, so... Um, you know, I had an opportunity to coach some middle school. When I was in Illinois at, at Homewood Flossmore, I was the varsity assistant girls basketball coach. That was one of my first coaching jobs that I had. I was a JV baseball coach. So I've always felt that one of the things that, that I've had an opportunity to do, I've coached, I was a varsity tennis coach at Brownsburg. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, so I've coached everything from varsity athletes down to uh, middle school athletes. And now with my own kids, coaching them a little bit in youth sports, right. uh, you know, down to t-ball as a, as a five-year-old. Um, so I've coached all kinds of different ages. I've coached, uh, you know, revenue sports and, you know, basketball. I've coached non-revenue sports and tennis and individual sports versus team sports and boys right. versus girls. So I, I have, I feel like this kind of well-rounded background of, you know, where a lot of different types of athletes and their coaches are, are coming from. And I think that that's helpful as an athletic director to, to, to know those types of things. So, like, going through that progression, whether it's going from the middle school to high school and then, you know, JV or freshman level to a varsity level, now as an athletic director, what have you learned about high school sports that you really didn't know before you got into athletic directing? I, I would say one of the things that I've seen, because you get a little bit of a bigger picture of it, is, you know, it's just talking about youth sports. And one of the things that I think that high school coaches have to be cognizant and aware of, and I think our coaches here do a really good job of this, is understanding as you're growing your feeder programs. Mm-hmm. And it's different for different, every sport, right? Football and basketball have middle school teams right. that they're coming and playing through the middle school, you know, whereas soccer doesn't necessarily right. have that. And you've got kids that are playing everything from, uh, you know, in the Optimist Club to kids who are playing on high-level travel right. soccer teams. Baseball's kind of the same way. Right. That's all okay. I think the coaches need to know where those kids are potentially playing, right, and who is coming up through your system and what kind of skills those kids have. But... There are some coaches, you know, and also parents get involved in this a little bit too, where they look at it and go, okay, here's this group of fourth, here's this group of fourth grade basketball players. Let's right. say. Just take basketball as an example, and you go, all right, here are the seven or eight really good fourth grade basketball players that we have in this class, and this is the class that, man, these guys are going to get us to the promise line. When these, watch out when this group of kids are seniors in high school, and that's great, and there's nothing wrong with that, but we're really doing a disservice to our program if we're trying to focus on eight kids when they're in fourth grade because it's not the way that it works you have eight years to go right. from that fourth grade class to the senior class and so I've always talked about you know when I've coached middle school or I say, I've got a son who's in eighth grade now and and so you know when you get to the high school senior class let's take basketball if you've got four kids in your senior class mm-hmm. uh, this year we had six that graduated right. our boys basketball team uh, this year that's a huge senior class six six players graduating as seniors is a huge senior class. Four is somewhat large. The average is probably three or four for your typical right. high school. That, that's what we team. tell our right, freshmen right. every year. And so, you know, if we're trying to focus on seven kids when they're in fourth grade, we're not going to make it because what's going to happen from fourth grade in the eight years between that and their senior year of high school? Well, you know, this kid is going to move. And this kid is going to decide that he's more interested in being a football player than he is as a basketball player. Right. He's going to drop out of the program. And this kid's not going to cut it grades wise. Right. Um, and this kid, who is a in seventh grade, is a five foot ten, <laughs> hundred and fifty five pound stud. Right. 
and he's the best athlete. He's the quickest and strongest kid as a seventh grader. When he's a senior, he's five eleven. Right. And, and, and I mean, the, you know, right. puberty is a game changer in all of that. And so, if we're focused on seven kids in fourth grade, the correlation between, and I'm not saying that there isn't any correlation between who you know the best mm-hmm. athletes and the best players in a sport tend to be in the youth ages by the time they get to high school. But the correlation isn't as high as a lot of people tend to think that it is. Right. And I've seen lots of kids who, you know, when they were in fourth grade, they were a kid who was on the B team or had trouble making a team or something along those lines. And they're a kid who's still around by the time they're junior, senior in high school. And I've seen kids go the other way and they flame out and they're the star player on their little league team or their travel right. soccer team. And, right. and by the time they get to high school, they've flamed out and, and they aren't there anymore. Mm-hmm. And so we have to be careful about focusing all of our energy in, in you know in the younger age groups on select small samples of kids our goal as a high school program has to be to try to develop you know if we want to get to those four kids in the basketball program as seniors we better start with about 20 of them when they're in fourth grade right. if we want to get there when they're when they're seniors in high school no, I think that's a great insight yeah uh, so it kind of goes back so we as a school I mean we've had a lot of success sure. in the last I don't know, probably three, four, maybe mm-hmm. even five years. Mm-hmm. And you mentioned it as far as the, co- the coaches around here doing their job. Is, is that, I don't want to say the factor, it's obviously a factor, but what else do you think has contributed to success, not just in certain programs, sure, but sure. athletically as a whole? Well, first of all, you know, the vast majority of that credit goes to, to our student athletes. I mean, right? Oh, the yes. ones who are yeah, participating yeah, yeah. in games at a school our size talent level of athletes are going to come and go. I mean, mm-hmm. you're going to have ups and downs. We've been very fortunate that we've had a really talented, across-the-board group right. of, of student-athletes. Um, you know, now, that being said, I feel, I'm happy that I feel like we've done a good job of taking advantage of, right. uh, maybe taking advantage is the right, right terminology, but, but utilizing the kids who have some talent, you know, athletic ability and athletic talent, and I think we've utilized them properly to make our, to make our teams be, be very successful. Um, you know, I think we have a tremendous coaching staff that I'm extremely proud of, uh, you know, uh, across the board here. Um, and, they, and they do a great job mm-hmm. of, uh, you know, working with our student athletes, teaching kids um, the importance of passion in terms of what they're doing mm-hmm. as, as an athlete. I think that that's such an important thing for a 15, 16, 17-year-old kid that there's something special about what you do. And again, going back to the idea of youth sports and all of that, I, I think that's important, right? I think that we do a good job through our feeder programs, and that's that's helping to develop these kids that we're working with here at the high school level. But one of the things that you see as we've increased, um, you know, let's say non-education-based athletics, your travel baseball, your travel soccer, all of those things, is, is kids, especially kids who play on those, like, elite-type teams, you know, they... They travel, you know, I've got a son who's traveled all around the Midwest playing baseball, right? I mean, he's gone to oh, yeah. the College World Series in Omaha. When he was little, he went out to Williamsport to play in a tournament. He didn't play in the Little League World Series, but he right. played in a tournament out there. I mean, so he's staying in hotels. And, right. and it's cool stuff. It's fun, and it's cool. There's nothing wrong with that. But then we have to come back as a high school athletic program, and it can be tough to go, well, we're going to play Cascade and volleyball on a Tuesday night. And that's more important than, you know, this club tournament that you went and you had an opportunity to go play in Texas. Right. Uh, you know, yeah. or, or, you're, or you're playing a baseball game, even over at Grand Park at a beautiful million-dollar facility playing on artificial turf when you were nine years old mm-hmm. playing in that game. And so we've got to kind of distinguish ourselves in that what we're doing here is special and it's the most important thing that you'll remember 
you know, when, when you're done, when you graduate from high school, when you graduate from college, you get older and you get married and you think back to the good times that you had as a high school student. Right. Those are the things, and that's more about relationships. Right. The people that you were, your teammates, your coaches, it's more about those things than, you know, some of those other events that, that again, not that there's anything wrong with any of those events. We just have to distinguish ourselves and convince kids you can't look past this Tuesday night volleyball game against Cascade because you never get a chance to do it again. Right. And that, in the end, will be more important than travel tournaments that you played in as a, as a nine or ten year old. When you're playing eight or nine games it, in a day. That's exactly like, right. Yeah. I, I, I guess exactly. it's not just basketball, but I guess that's where I'm at too. It's like kids just play so many games. Sure. Now, so many games. It almost devalues so, what a game so is. Like they I mean, don't, so. A great example of that is, I mean, you know, I grew up, I played baseball. I played Little League. Uh, you know, I played every year from when I was seven, let's say, till I was mm-hmm. 12 years old in my local town's right. Little League, right? We didn't have travel baseball and, right. and those types of things. Okay, so, so there's a huge difference in sports I think today versus sports 20 years ago. I'm not a real big oh back in my day and these right. kids these days. I don't <laughs> agree with a lot of that. I I, I think kids today are kids, and and right. I, I, it's a red flag to me sometimes when I hear people talk about oh how terrible kids are today or they're lazy today compared to. I don't agree with that at all. Right. I think that. You know, some of the things in terms of technology and what kids have, some of that has changed, but kids are still kids. Right. But in sports, one thing that I think has definitely changed is, so when I was a kid, you know, growing up in the 80s, so I played Little League Baseball, and we played probably, I don't know, 14 or 15 games a year. And so I look at that and go, okay, for my entire childhood, from ages 8 to 12, I probably played in, I don't know, 80 baseball games, let's say, over the span of those five years or so. Uh, you know, my son, who's 13 and is going into eighth grade, as a, as a 12-year-old, uh, you know, as a 12-year-old going into seventh grade, he played about 80 baseball games in one calendar year. And so, wow. you know, that's just a tremendous difference that he's doing that in one season. Right. And he's a much better baseball player than I ever was when I was 12 years old. He, right. he should. He, he plays a, a ton more of organized competitive baseball. But that's the other part of it. All we do now for those kids is have organized competitive events. If, if somebody's not running a basketball tournament or a baseball tournament or a soccer tournament, kids aren't doing it. So where I only played in 15 organized baseball games a year when I was a kid playing Little League, right. okay, but on the other hand, I probably played in 200 backup, you know, pick up backyard games right. you know, at, at, my, at my friend's house across the street. You know, we'd wake up in the summer at 9 o'clock in the morning, and whoever showed up, showed up, right? right. You, you know, you throw the bat up in the air and, you know, hands on top <laughs> of the bat, and you get first pick. And, right. You know, and, and there's no left fielder, so left field's an automatic out, and the garbage can is second base. And, right. you know, and, and <laughs> I don't, I, my son's probably played one pickup wiffle ball game, like, in his life, in his birthday, when he was maybe eight or nine years old. If, if it doesn't get organized by adults, kids tend to not do it anymore. And I think that's something that's missing a little bit. Yeah. I think that, I think that, that hurts kids creativity their ability to problem solve to a certain extent to 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 deal with um you know disagreements and and resolve things Mm -hmm. and i mean kids don't do that because now when there's a disagreement kids today don't ever play in a game where there isn't a referee there isn't an umpire you know they're the ones who handle all of the disputes or a coach or a parent Right, right right you know when when we were kids 
we handled our own disputes. You'd argue oh, yeah. about it, and you you know whatever you you know it was a, it'd be a whole big thing about something. There was always going to be some controversy on that given day, but you you settled it yourself as right. as, as kids, and, oh. that, and that just and that doesn't happen anymore today. Well, I, and I think that's too bad. My my friends and I talk about this all the time, or even Coach Hartman and I like there there's no pickup basketball games. Right. Now. Yes. Like we we have this great park here in Danville, and there's hardly ever anybody down there playing basketball where. And we were actually going to hit this, what has changed the last 10 years. I think that's one of the biggest things, like you said. It's like kids just don't go and do No, anything. it's got to be or It's got to be something that's organized. We've, like, got, we've got to have uniforms and we've got to have referees. And, and you know, and again, it's not that it's wrong, but it's different. And I do think that kids don't get some skills when they are doing those things mm-hmm. them, them, themselves. Well, I even think for us as high school coaches, it makes it hard when, you know, we, we're on our fourth day of summer practice right now. And it's like, how do we how do we stop the burnout? Right. Because it's been a nonstop season for some of these guys, you know, going from well, soccer to basketball. So, many games. To, yeah. right. so, so the practice part of it becomes – tedious i mean you know so so we're so we're into summer workouts for football and for soccer and it is i mean it's but that's where you do the work that's the part that makes you better sure the games are fun right Mm -hmm. and and none of this happens if we don't have games to play so we have to have those right but this is the and and so we've got to sit here and we've got to convince kids this is the time of year that we get better right you know these are this is these this is the work that we have to put in that's going to make you a better athlete in the sport that you're in mm-hmm. so that when we get to the fall when we get to september and we're playing games we're prepared and we're ready to go but that's kind of a long-term thing that is that that can be tough to to, to get kids to come across because they're kind of used to that weekend to weekend you know i'm going to grand park to play baseball or i'm going up to fort wayne to go play in a space travel basketball tournament right. And so, you know, kids kind of live that life now, right. and we've got to kind of break them of some of those habits when they get here. So that transitioned us to this next question. So IHSAA has come out with some new rules regarding practices and when coaches can interact with players. What what do you think brought that about? Right. So so they passed, the, the IHSAA executive board this past spring has passed a, uh, you know, basically a new out-of-season during the school year policy specific to team sports. Right. So there's a lot of... You know, yeah. uh, a lot of terminology in there. But basically, we're talking about the, the sports that are classified as team sports, right? So, so football, basketball, baseball, softball, volleyball, uh, boys and girls soccer would be the sports right. that we're talking about here. Um, and so, the way that it's the way that I've always been able to understand it is, if you look at the IHSA calendar, there are essentially three seasons, right? You have your actual contest seasons so right. for soccer from the first day of practice on July 30th until the state championship game for. Right for soccer during fall. Then the second part of the season is during the school year where you're not in that contest season. So once we get past the state championship game until the end of the school year, and then the third part of that is during the summer. Right. Um, nothing's really changed in the summer. So so right. teams can have workouts, mm-hmm. teams can, can get together, you can you can participate in you know contests or tournaments. The high school coach can be a part of that and coach them. Right. Um, during the school year out of season, there are restrictions, and there always have been. The old restriction was that coaches basically had to have what was considered open facility, which right. means you, you you know it, it worked fairly well in basketball. You, you you have a gym, you have open gym, kids right. can come in and shoot, they can play pickup games, the coaches can be there, and coaches were limited to instructing two athletes at a time. Mm-hmm. So a basketball coach could go and pull over two post players and you know work on drills with those two, and then when they were done, bring over two guards and work with them at a time. That 
that rule is kind of to me set up for basketball. It doesn't work as well in other sports. Right. You know, in, in baseball, how do you work with two kids at a time in baseball? You can work with one kid in a batting cage. Right. You know, you can work with a pitcher and a catcher maybe. But I'm trying to do I'm trying to have a baseball workout. Right. Well, what's a baseball workout gonna consist of? I'm gonna hit ground balls to kids, I'm gonna have kids throw. Well, but if I'm limited to working with two kids, you know, so so a lot of baseball coaches there go, well, I hit a ground ball to the shortstop and he threw it to the first baseman, so I was working with those two kids. Right. Now I'm going to hit a ground ball to the second baseman and he's going to throw it to the first. <laughs> right. Now I'm working with those two kids. That's not necessarily what the intent of the of the right. rule ever was. So they've cleaned up a lot of that and all of that has gone away. And so now what they've created is what's called a limited contact period. So during the school year, there are there there are parts where there is no contact. And there's parts where there's limited contact. So the no contact part is designed to give kids a break. Right. So, so, you know, we get to the fall, kids have started to play football and soccer and volleyball and, and you know, and so any kid who, let's say, was going to play basketball in the winter, those kids have a break for a couple of weeks. And plus, the beginning of the school year, they get adjusted. They, you know, mm-hmm. it, it's just a time of adjustment and a period right. of adjustment as kids are coming to the start of the school year. We get into about September, and then there's going to be what's called limited contact periods, which means that... In the course of a week, the high school program can have workouts for their team with essentially with the equipment of the sport. So this doesn't affect conditioning at all. Right, right. You can weight lift, you can run, you can do all that as much as you want. But using sticks and balls and equipment from your sport, you now get two days a week and you get two hours per day that the coaches can work with the athletes. So essentially our basketball team can have two practices a week right. before the official start of basketball season, you know, during that time in September and October where they can have two practices. They've lifted any restrictions on the coach has to work with two mm-hmm. kids. They've lifted the restriction that the coach can't run a practice. Right. All of those types of things can happen. So the trade-off is the coach is allowed to do more and, and can and can do more work and be more specific in how he's working with kids, right. but they're restricting the amount of time because the open gyms, there were some restrictions. It was three days a week that you were allowed to do it, but then once you got within a month of the season, it was unlimited. You could do it as much as you wanted. Right. So now there's a restriction on the amount of time, but during the time you have the kids, you you're can allowed do to do more. Right. And, and I, I think it's a good trade-off. I like it. I think the rules are easier to follow. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think it's easier. I mean, these are all self-enforced rules that, that schools you know, the, that we trust that the coaches are going to do things the right way. We trust that the athletic departments are going to uh, administer them the right way. Right. Um, but in, in reality, you've got 400 schools that have, you know, there's 20 different athletic programs, 20 different sports. Right. That's a lot of coaches running a lot of things in a lot of schools. Some simplification of those rules, I think, is a good thing for, uh, across the board. For so I, I think my next question would be more basketball-specific sure. because I, I feel like more basketball players do this than probably other sports. So where does that leave like a kid that would want to maybe come in on their own and maybe like shoot around on their own, work out on their own? Like, are, are the rules going right. to... So I, I, I guess that's where I'm confused as, like, sure. where does that leave that? So, so, here's, so here's a tricky thing. I mean, I... I I think that this is brand new, and I think we're going to get some clarification on some questions that that we have. My personal opinion, and and listening to, uh, you know, leaders in the IHSA speak and and that type of thing about some of these new rules, my personal opinion is the intent of the rule is in your facilities with your coaches, you get two hours a day, two days a week. So, so you know, there's like this idea of there could be a workaround of, well, we'll just have the coach come and unlock the door, and if you want to come in and shoot, well, then you just came in and shoot. Well... Two things about that. A, as the athletic director, I would sit here and go, well, who's supervising the kids that are in that are in the gym, right? I right. mean, so if we've got school staff, whether they're coaches or not, if, we're, if we've got school staff that are involved in doing that, 
I think that they're using our facility um, during that time. And then the other part of that is the intent of this rule is to limit the amount of time that athletes are participating in a certain sport while they're out of season. Not that we want to take all that away, but we don't want a high school athlete working 10 hours a day. And we also don't want that underlying pressure of a coach saying, well, hey, I'm just saying the gym's going to be open. You can be there if you want to. Well, you can't get away from that and go, well, that was totally optional. Right. That, that was a totally optional thing. When your high school coach is the one that's doing that, there's going to be underlying pressure. Mm-hmm. Of course, it's optional. You have the choice to go or right. not go. Right. But, oh, what a surprise. I didn't show up all fall at any of the workouts, and then I got cut. Right. You know, I mean, I mean, so so you have that aspect of it, and I and I appreciate, and I do think that the IHSA is trying to protect the interests of the student athletes so that they're not overworked, and and also at a school our size, I think another part that's going to come into play with this rule is dealing with multi-sport athletes. Yeah. That's right. probably the biggest concern that I have right. with this new rule is is how that's going to necessarily impact kids that we have that are multi-sport athletes. Right. Um, because what you what what this is opened up, what you're going to have in the spring is in, in the spring, we're going to have non-padded football practice. I mean, it's just the way that it is. I mean, right. it, it's that's what this new rule has opened up. Two days a week, there's going to be non-padded football practice. So how do we kind of coincide that with a kid who wants to play football and has every intention of doing it and is good, but also is maybe one of the fastest kids in the conference? Right. And we want that kid to run track. I mean, right. He could win the, you know, the conference 100-meter uh, dash championship, and we want that kid to do that and participate. Right. We need to be able to work some of those things out with our with our coaches. That's an internal thing right. that we've got to kind of deal with about how do we get that kid. You know, I don't want that kid to completely quit track, right? Or not, you know, or another another sport where it's maybe a kid's second or third sport they're participating in, because they go, I, I just I, I need to be at the football practice. Mm-hmm. We we've got to have some understanding between between coaches and in how we get that worked out where that kid can do both. And I think it goes back to you know I love your signature on your emails. We are a school of 20 sports yep. and one team. Yep. And so we celebrate with one another what uh, what the other programs are doing, and we hurt with one another, right, when a program doesn't, uh, you know, has a, has a season cut short. And you know. I'll tell you something. That's one of, one of my proudest things that we have here is I really do believe that our coaches do an unbelievable job of that. I, I get asked all the time as an athlete, you know, we just talk about multi-sport athletes. That's something that people always talk to me about, about, you know, oh, do, you know, the coaches and they force kids to play one sport, and I said that 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 doesn't happen. Right. That I mean that doesn't happen here. We have, you know, look at look at our boys basketball program this past year, okay, and our football program, right? Who were both tremendously successful, okay? Right. You know, out of 12, all six, all six of our seniors play football. All, all, all six of you, I think, out of the twelve kids, you have Coleman who ran cross country. Yep. I mean, I think out of the twelve kids who were on the basketball sectional roster, I think nine of them played another sport, if I'm not mistaken. That uh, sounds and, about and right, so, yeah. Uh, you know, you know, we've had, we've had, you know, Guype was a soccer and right. basketball guy. I mean, right. you know, we've had, tr- we've had a ton of multi-sport athletes. Right. And the coaches here have done a tremendous job of sharing those athletes and working them out. And even more importantly to me than that is, I see them celebrating each other's success. Right. You know, I, 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 I see... You know the basketball team happy when the football team does well, and the girls' basketball coach is happy when the boys' basketball right. program is winning, and right. boys and girls' soccer celebrating each other's successes. Right. And, and so that's a really, really cool thing because I'm a big believer in success breeding success, right? right? So you know we get off to a good start of the year, and the football team is four and zero, and everybody's fired up and excited about that. 
that can't help but bleed over to the volleyball teams and the soccer teams. Right. And we just saw that happen this past year. Right. I mean, you know, the football team comes off to a great start, and what what ends up happening? Again, we have tremendous athletes, we have great coaches, but you know, everybody kind of wants to one up each other a little bit. Well, oh, the football yeah. team's four and zero. All right, the volleyball team's nine and one. And, and pressure and on it. Good pressure. Right, it's exactly right. And it's not a, it's not a bad. Well, we're going to one one up the football team and show them up. It's Hey, they're successful. We're going to be successful also, and, and so oh, I understand. I, you know, and, and that goes from fall into yeah. winter. So all, all of our fall sports had tremendous success, yeah. right? So so now what's next up? We got basketball, we got wrestling, we got right. swimming, and they're all on the clock and want to repeat the successes that that those guys just had. And so and I can tell you from experience, I have I, we went through the schools that I've worked at before. You know, I've I've been at a lot of different places. It is not always that way. I mean, I understand where other people come from when they say, right. "How do you, you know, where, how do you get it to be like that?" And we're just kind of fortunate, I think, that that's what our culture is here. Right. Uh, but it's not like that everywhere. Right. And, you know, I, there there are lots of places where I've gone and I've seen jealousy between, you know, uh, the 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 boys basketball program and the and the girls basketball program. Mm-hmm. I grew up. I, I, <laughs> I was a I was a bad basketball player. Our high school basketball team wasn't very good. You know, the, the girls program was outstanding. Right. Um, you know, and there was always a little bit of tension about that. That you know, our our, our girls basketball team was consistently winning sectionals and and win, you know ranked in the top ten in the state type of thing. And you know, my senior year of, of high school, I think our boys basketball team won four games or something like that. Right. And, and, and you know, there, there was there was some tension in the air about those things. We've been fortunate because we've had lots of success, and that makes it easier when everybody's tending oh, yeah. to have success. But, you know, I appreciate that that has been the culture here in, in the time that I've been here. I think that that's a really important thing, and it makes it a, it makes it a much more positive atmosphere for right. both our coaches and our student-athletes. Right. Do you feel like part of that, too, uh, from the coaching standpoint, is we do have a, a lot of young coaches now, and there's a good mix, I guess, because obviously Coach Barber's been here for sure. 20 years now. Coach Foster, Coach Hartman, same thing. Sure. I know they spread around other sports as well, but there's also that good mix, like energy, enthusiasm from there them. There is. I, it's, a, it's a combination of both things. I would attribute, you know, our boys' basketball program has had, obviously, a ton of success. I, I would absolutely say one of the most important things in the boys' basketball program is has been the consistency of the coaching staff over, you know, a, a decade and a half now. I mean, we, we haven't had turnover including in the assistant coaches mm-hmm. okay so coach Arvin, coach foster you know all of you guys have been there for a long time and i think that that's that's hard to do that doesn't happen you know it just it i've been in this business for a long time those types of things don't happen so it's great when you have a system and you have people that you can trust and they're in place and and there's continuity from one year to the next on the other side of that, you talk about young coaches, and we have a number of young coaches here. Uh, you know, I mean, Coach Woods, obviously, in football, is a great example. Of a couple years ago, he was the youngest head football coach in the state, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, the guy's record speaks for itself. The guy has three loss, four losses in three years. Uh, you know, we've gone to the semi-state and beaten Chitard the last two years. So, I mean, you know, it, it's, it's unbelievable success that we've had on the field. And I do think that kids have a tendency to, you know, Coaching is a education in general is about relationships, right? Um, and not that older coaches can't have relationships with kids. They they do, but you know kids have a tendency to to be drawn towards that young guy with energy who you know makes you feel like you're going to run through a wall for right. him. Um, and and you know 
Coach Bay, Coach Woods, uh, you know, a lot of the young coaches that we have, I think, have have brought that to the right. table, and and I think I think we have a great mix because I also feel like those young coaches that we have, well, they, they look they, up, they, 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 right? They learn from the veteran right. coaches that that have, that have been right. here for for a longer time. I mean, you know, they're learning from them at the at the same time, mm-hmm. uh, and and look, I also think that it goes, I think Correct. it goes the other way too. I think that. You know, our our veteran coaches are learning a little bit from our younger coaches. So I like having that that mix. Uh, you know, here I think it makes it cohesive, and I right. feel like everybody learns from one another. Well, I even had a conversation with Coach Casey last summer, and just said, you know, hey, I'm curious about this, curious sure. about that. How do you motivate? How do you do that? And so the door's always open. I think people would be shocked. I, I really do. I, you know, I, people kind of tend to have a little bit of a vacuum of, well, you know, this is the the volleyball program or the you know, tennis program or whatever. So they kind of live in a little bit of a bubble of that world. I think that that people on the outside would tend to be shocked about how much communication there is between coaches right. and picking up little things and mm-hmm. that, are, that are across the board. You know, that it's not necessarily, you know, obviously you're not going to go to a volleyball coach to, to talk about how to teach soccer <laughs> skills right. to a kid. But, but all of the coaches are dealing with... Well, there's basic principles. R- well, and dealing with personality. Right. Right? How to deal with a difficult personality. Right. How do you deal with this situation where I have two kids who have this issue between them and, and right. how do I solve it? Right. What's the... And it's not necessarily always about issues Positive or... Positive or negative, right. right. It's also about what do you think is... You know, we're advanced... We had we had football, boys basketball, girls basketball all participate in the semi-state this year as team sports. So all three of those teams are going through some similar types of issues about how do you deal with the travel? How Mm -hmm. do you deal with the increased pressure? How do you deal with the media scrutiny, right? Right. Those are all things that aren't necessarily sports specific. And our coaches have the opportunity to learn from one of them. And I know that those coaches are having conversations with them about, hey, when you did this in the fall, how did you guys deal with that? You know right. what you know what worked for you, and what would you do differently if you had it to do all over again? And I mean, that's what that's what this is all about. That's how coaches get better. It's how they learn. I mean, it, it's that's that's the, that's an important part of all of this. Yeah. This is awesome. This is good. So we're 30 <laughs> minutes in. I want to actually hold off on our last couple of questions and okay. maybe ask you yeah. for another interview later on in the future. Um, we really appreciate your time. Glad to do it. Uh, let's let's kind of end. I think with, it's awesome that you guys do this. I think it's I think it's really cool. Well, I think you know what you were talking Tony about. Tony Kornheiser, 20... Mike Wilbon, oh, Dan Dan's well. <laughs> very old right here. I, you know, yeah, we're going to get the little ticker and go and stop at the top. Some big guy. shoes. You know, we do have some. Uh, some big dreams, I think, for people to interview. So maybe you can help us out with that in the future. Uh, I I think it's cool what we do because we get to highlight it's all fun. the sports. Yeah. Because it's not just a football or a basketball. I mean, like we were able to celebrate the wrestlers this year, sure. and yeah. that's not normally. And I, I will say this: uh, we I think we love your Twitter account because I think you do a phenomenal job of trying to celebrate everything. Sure. And it and it's not just lip service to say twenty sports one team, but you were truly are doing that. You know, one of the great social media certainly has its positives and negatives. Right. Okay. And and from a personal side of it. Yeah, I kind of try to stay right. away from it. One of the things that it's really useful for in terms of things like high school athletics is exactly that. And I try to explain to our coaches and to, to parents to a certain extent and athletes, you can't necessarily control what the public consumes. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I can't help the fact that and it's just the culture of the country that we live in, right, that we might have three, 4,000 people show up at a football game, right. and there might be 25 people at a tennis match the night before. Right. Can't really control that. 
what what you got to understand as an athlete or as a coach is that that doesn't mean that in the context of what you do as an athlete or a coach, that one is necessarily more important than the other. Right. They're varsity. They are varsity sports. They're varsity athletes. They're they are working hard in events that are extremely important to them, right. and they've worked their whole lives to get to the spot right. where they're at. So one of the things that we can do through social media is, you know, create our own situation. We're not, you know, Operation Tennis. Dave Clavero's not going to come over with a helicopter on a Tuesday night to a tennis match over right. here. That's not how right. it works, and that's okay. Right. But that doesn't mean that we can't celebrate right. the things that happen with our with our own athletes. We can create our own media to, to a certain extent. Well, I mean, I I was even trying to follow the uh, the boys' golf team, right. you know, when they were playing at Twin Bridges, just yeah. trying to keep yeah. updated yeah. on scores. So we love that. Uh, all right, let's kind of rapid fire. A couple questions. Uh, what's your favorite sports team? My favorite sports team is the Chicago White Sox, which is unfortunate because they're like 20, <laughs> 24 games under five. Hey, it's, it's okay. We're, we're, we're Reds fans, we're Reds fans <laughs> yeah. so we're we're right there with you. Yeah, if the Reds could just play five innings. They would be really. The Reds good. are still like, the Reds are still like three or four games better than the White Sox right now. Okay, what about your favorite sports movie? My favorite sports movie is Major League. Solid. Yes. <laughs> yeah. Yes. Okay. I do love it. Uh, can't go further with that one. Uh, favorite ice cream. I'll go with chocolate chip cookie dough. I, I tell you what, good story. I, I when I was a when I was a teenager, when I was in high school in the summer, I worked at Baskin Robbins. Oh. So I've got some I I have got some ice cream skills. I can make a Sunday. Nice. I can connoisseur I can over do, here. I can do a couple of things from, from, from <laughs> so back in the day. You need to go to Broad Ripple and eat at <laughs> Graders. Uh, I, I have I have not eaten at the one in Broad Ripple, but my sister-in-law lives in Cincinnati, and yes. we've eaten at a great okay. in Cincinnati. Yes, we right. just went Good. to. We were up in the Fishers area. There's one. There's Handles. Handles. Handles okay. ice cream. I don't know about that one. It's uh, right there off 116th Street. <laughs> it, we met some friends up there for dinner. That play, Yeah, that's good ice cream as well. Awesome. Well, thank you very much. Sounds good. Appreciate it, guys.